work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I know that we would say we were going to do four to five chapters in Psalms, but sometimes it's not going to happen <laughs> because of the material and the length of them. I know it looks great out there, but me reading 170 verses on a night just ain't cutting it. <laughs> but as we will see, these two are some of uh, David's best psalms. Psalm 18. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord, the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hands of his enemy and from the hands of Saul. And he said, I will love you, O Lord, with my strength. For the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God and my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. And I will call upon the Lord, listen, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again. We thank you, Lord, for the heart of the psalmist, David. Lord, as we look into this, these two psalms, that we, would, we too would have the heart of King David. And so, Lord, bless our time. Enrich our heart. Draw us close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm, it is said to be one of the crown jewels of David, and you will see why that is. If you're taking note, as it says, this is a song of deliverance. It was meant to be sung in Israel, but this is younger David. Everybody got that? This isn't older David. He hasn't bathsheba yet. Got that? He hasn't murdered Uriah the Hittite yet. This hasn't happened yet, and you'll hear that through this psalm. So, younger David, God uh, is delivering him finally from being on the run. Some say up to 20 years he's been on the run from Saul. That's a hard life to live in the desert, in the rocks. But know with me that God is allowing him and did allow him to go through all of that so that David would be a much better king and that he would learn from the Ibexes out in the wilderness. He would learn what it was like to have not a lot of water. He would learn what it was like not to have the comforts of the palace and then to be around those mighty men. He would come to trust in those mighty men, and they would always be around him because they fought together, uh, and they, they went through so much hardship together out there in the Judean wilderness. Psalm 18 tells us, notice at the beginning, simply, what do you do when God finally delivers your enemies, that he, that he has delivered you from the situation that you have been going through for a long time. What do you do? You, you, you best do, verse 1. Notice David. This is King David. He says, I love you, Lord. If you're taking note, you will not find this phrase too often in the Old Testament let alone spoken by a man, let alone spoken to Jehovah. Remember in the Old Testament, they didn't have this idea of Abba Father. They didn't 
they didn't look to God as Father. He was Jehovah God. And it wasn't until the New Testament that Jesus points us to our Father who art in heaven. Amen? Hallowed be His name. That is not where they are in the Old Testament. They don't have that view of God. And so for David to say, I love you, this is very intimate. (laughs) This is something like, Lord, thank you. I cannot thank you enough. Why? He says, for you are my strength. Listen, when you're in the wilderness that long, God is the one who is providing for you and taking care of your daily needs. I don't know if you've ever been in the Judean wilderness. I have. There's only a couple of snack shops today. And the Pringles are about $7. I've got a photo of it. Seriously. $7 for Pringles. Are they shipping? I told my son that. I've got a business. We'll just come over here in the United States, fill up an entire container of Pringles, take them to Israel. What does that have to do with tonight? My point is, there is no quickie mark. There is no you know, quick stop shop for David to go into. He has to rely on God in the middle of a wilderness for that length of time. He has to rely in him going into enemy cities into Gath and not being killed. And so he says, I love you, Lord, for you are my strength. Tonight, as you go through this, you will echo some of the things of David. Maybe you were in the place where David is right now, and it finally just got released in your life, or you were right at the beginning of it. Listen, if you're at the beginning of it, take solace in David because there is an end. If you're in the middle of it, just wait. There's an end. But please note, you need to have God's strength. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, and my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. We don't think like this. The Bible talks about walled cities. And then later on in the future, as far as prophecy, it says Israel will live in unwalled cities. And that's speaking of where we are in the book of Revelation, by the way. So to live in an unwalled city was just really dumb because you would be attacked. So a fortress was everything. If you go to Europe, what will you find there? You will find a lot of castles from the medieval time. If you go into Ireland... Uh, well, they're mainly destroyed. But if you go into England, and those, you're going to find castles there. And you know what it's like to be inside of the castle where there is a stronghold there. And you are able to defeat your enemy. So what is David saying? He, he is saying, Lord, you are my strength and my deliverer. Again, if you go to Israel with us, you can go to Masada, which is in the middle of this area in which David lived. It wasn't created in David's time, but later it was. It's an amazing fortress on the top of this rock, Masada. And the Jews were up there, and the Romans built a siege ramp. And before the Romans could get up there, the Israelis committed a mass suicide there. They would not be taken. And even to this day, the Israeli forces go up there and they pledge their oath, never again Masada. They know what it's like to have a fortress. They know what it's like to have 
protection in that way. And this is what David says. He says, Lord, you're my castle. You're my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Not only that, you're my strength and whom I will trust. Our problem is in our modern world, who do we put our trust in? Take your finger and point it at you. We say, I will trust in myself and my abilities. And yet David knew this because God had allowed him to go through all of that wilderness experience. So when he becomes king and he, and he has the opulence and he has the food and he has all of that, that he can remember what God had done for him. Just like God does for us, oftentimes he takes us in a place of wilderness so that we would be able to remember what God has done for us. Paul did this all the time. He said, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Having a place to come back to, to know that this is where <laughs> oh, Bethel was that place for Israel. The house of bread, it was called. And Abraham would come back to Bethel. When it would go bad, he would go back to the house of bread. Going back to that place of a stronghold. Verse 3 says, oh, we got to keep going. That's what it says. It says, the Lord is my, uh, I'm sorry, I will call upon the Lord, notice, who is worthy to be praised. By the way, you can see that worthy is in italics. That means it was added. You can read it, I will call upon the Lord to be praised. I mean, we know he's worthy, but it was added by the translators. He simply is to be praised. He's, when you're in that position, just everybody for a minute, think about that one thing, that one time God brought you out of that, delivered you out of that, allowed you to have victory over that. He wants to bring that to your remembrance so that when it, when it is done, you are able to call upon the Lord. And he is to be praised. He says, so shall I be saved from my enemies. You see, if David is saved from the worst guy, Saul, then what's the big deal of what's coming after that? Because if God can deliver him from a giant with five, uh, with five stones, and one of them literally took him out, if he can deliver him from that and deliver him from Saul, then what's a big deal of what's coming up? Or any other army that's coming up? You see, we often have short-term memory. Anybody? You're like, I already forgot. We have that short-term memory of what God has done for us, and we have to remember that so that when we're at the next situation, we go, wait a minute, this looks awfully familiar. I've seen a giant like that before. I've seen that situation before. So I'm going to trust in the Lord because he has already saved me from my enemies before. Now listen to David's heart. It's real. The pains of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. Yes, David was afraid. David was distressed. He said the sorrows of hell or Sheol surrounded me and the snares of death confronted me. What was that like to live on the run like that? 
mean, we live in the United States of America. Have you been on the run like that, like David? He said, in my distress, he says, where I was, I called upon the Lord. And I cried out to my God. And he heard my voice from his temple. And he made my cry come before him, even to his ears. And look at the response of God. So this is what David did when he was in the wilderness, when he was on the run. Listen to what God did. David describes it as, Then the earth shook and trembled, and the foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. And he bowed the heavens also, and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode on cherub and flew, and he flew upon the wings of the wind. And he made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of sky. And from the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. And the Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, and hailstones of coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows, and he scattered the foes, lightning in abundance, and he vanquished them. And then the Lord, I'm sorry, then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, and at the blast of the breath of your nostril. So this powerful language that David uses as God is enveloping his enemies. Now, David does what we often don't do immediately, which is what? Call upon the Lord, cry out to the Lord. And David shows us the best position to be is to call upon the Lord immediately when the things happen. Don't pull a Jonah three days later. Pull a David one second after you see the arrows of the enemy come flying in. Notice in verse 16, he says, He sent from above, and he took me, and he drew me out of many waters, and he delivered me from my strong enemy, and from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. Listen, David is probably one of the best warriors in the Bible. And what did he say? He knew his limit. He knew his capabilities. And he said, they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. Don't you love that in verse 18? It's always like the enemy. You're, you're already having problem, and then the enemy does what? They kick you when you're down. The devil loves to come around you when you are already down. But listen to what David says. He says, the Lord is my support. The Lord lifts me up during those times. Notice, he brought me out of a broad place and he delivered me because he delighted in me. Would you circle that, please? Because that doesn't just apply to David. Are you ready for it? God likes you. Isn't that crazy? Look around. God not only likes you, he loves you. And this world is filled with uncertainty, and people 
that want to, as David says, tear us apart. But there is one person that wants to hang out with you. Isn't that amazing? That the creator, wait till we get to the next chapter when he's talking about the creation of the heavens and the earth. That creator who created all things would like to hang out with you. And that he delights in you. Listen, God knows you're a sinner. You're not shocking him. He's like, oh, I didn't know that was in your past. I can't be your friend. He says, I died for it. Amen? Amazing? This is David. This is why we love David. Because David communicates so much of what is in our heart. And I love this phrase, he delighted in me. I mean, imagine having your Facebook account or your Instagram account, and there was only one person who liked it, and it was Jesus. <laughs> and he gave you the thumbs up. And you're like, man, I don't care. If anybody else does anything, I've got Jesus, thumbs up. That's what it's like. Do you see that? We don't need anything else other than he delighted in me. Now, this is a powerful statement because we live in a world today where children are taught that there is no purpose to them and no plan for their life. And what is sad is the church often fails to communicate that God loves them. He wants to be with them even though he knows who they are. He delights in his creation. Why would he create us if he didn't delight in us? You ever thought, I mean, I know that's... Logic. He walked in the cool of the garden with Adam. I just want to ask Adam, what was that like? Pre-fall. They were clothed in light. Adam, what was that like? He delighted in me. He said, the, the Lord, verse 20, rewarded me according to my right on living, my righteousness. Remember, this is young David at this point. He said, according to the cleanliness of my hands, he has repaid me, recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Again, that will change, but... It's still the same David. This is the David who will say after creating me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. He says, for all of his, verse 22, judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. Now, we're going to get into that statutes, his law, in the next chapter. I was also blameless before him, like Job was, and I kept myself from the iniquity. I'm sorry. And I kept myself from my iniquity. Everybody got that? David knew. I mean, it's kind of frustrating to know what David's about to do. Amen. But he knows it right here. He knows what's in him. And he's, <laughs> and he's saying, I have kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore... The Lord has recompensed or paid me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanliness of my hands in his sight. 
with the with the uh, I'll do it with the merciful you will show yourself merciful and with the blameless man you will show yourself blameless and with the pure you will show yourself pure and with the devious you will show yourself shrewd for you will save the humble people but you will bring down the haughty look pride you will light my lamp, and the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Please note with me in verse 28 that David um, was in a dark place in his life. As we have already talked about, David, when David writes, David, you can feel, you can feel this guy. He feels everything. He's emotionally driven. When he writes, there's passion as he is writing that, and he knows what it's like to be and at that place where it's, it, it's a dark time. And there's darkness all around. But know with me, he knows that he can't get out of it. It is only the Lord that lights the light to, for him to get out of the darkness. Everybody got that? That's key. Know that if you're in darkness, the only way you're getting out of the darkness is to call upon the Lord to light the light to get you out of the darkness. Because you will not get yourself out of that. What happens? You usually go one step forward, and then you slide back. And then the enemy just beats the tar out of you. And you're like, well, I guess I'm staying in the darkness. And God's like, no, 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 let me help you. Call upon the name of the Lord. You will light my lamp, for the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. And as for my God, his way is perfect, and the word of the Lord is proven. Now David as we're going to see in the next chapter, David loved two things. I'm going to say this again at the beginning. David loved creation. He loved the handiwork of the Lord. But he also loved his word. And David says, I know that the word of God is proven. By this time, he has the first five books. Uh, there's probably Job at this point. Uh, maybe Ruth is done. So there are portions of the Bible that are finished. They're not all done. But what he has, he knows that the word is proven. And we'll dive into that more in a minute. And he is a shield to all those who trust him. How many is all? So David says, stop trusting in yourself and trust in the Lord. And he will be the one that will take the hits. Notice, for who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? For it is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect or mature. And he makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he sets me on my high places. Have you ever watched a deer or, and now David is thinking about the ibex in the wilderness, and I mean, it's just all rocky, uh, you know, cliffs and everything, and, and you look at them up there and you're like, you know, if you were up there, what would your mother say? You're going to kill yourself. You're going to fall off the, but it's amazing how they don't, how God has equipped them 
to be able to walk on this little thing there and not fall off. He said, make my feet like the feet of a deer and set me on the high places. One of the great things about going up to the property pretty much, well, not always in the summer, but in the fall and the winter is when we come into the gate, we have deer that love to come up on the left side of the property. There's a little mud hole there and they, but the deer are amazing. How they run, how they jump and how they almost hit the car <laughs> and how they can jump over the fence and you're like, it's, it's amazing what they do. And David says, make me like that. He teaches my hands to make war. Now that isn't a good, it's in a good way. So that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me a shield of your salvation. And your right hand has held me up. And your gentleness has made me great. And you enlarge my path under me so my feet don't slip. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back till they were destroyed. And I have wounded them so they could not rise. And they have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with the strength for battle, and you have subdued under me those who have rose up against me. So God has enabled David to be this great warrior. Why will David not be able to build the temple? Because God said that you had blood on your hands, David. You can't have both, God says to David. Your son Solomon will build the temple, but you are a warrior. And God allowed David to be this warrior so that the land of Israel would not have enemies all around. So when Solomon comes on the scene, he is able to build the temple in safety and for years after that, have peace. (laughs) You've also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroy those who hated me. Now, I know that you are thinking to yourself, Lord, I would like to have a couple of necks to put the boot on. But we live in the New Testament, so not for us. And they cried out, but there was no one to save them, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Isn't that interesting that the enemies of the Lord cry out to the Lord, but he's not going to deliver them. He says, then I beat them as fine dust before the wind, and I cast them like dirt in the street. He beat them, we would say, to a pulp, as fine dust before the wind. They were just dust in the wind. That's a Kansas song. How many of you know Kansas? The rest of you will have to look that up. I'm so old. Just dust in the wind. And you have delivered me from the striving of the people, and you have made me the head of the nations. Listen, and a people who I do not know shall serve me. So these nations that came under the umbrella of the Israeli nation, as soon as they heard me, they obeyed me, and the foreigners submitted to me. The foreigners fade away and some frightened from their hideout. But the Lord lives 
Blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me, and he delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me, and you have delivered me from the violent men. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. Notice what David says. He says, I praise you among those who we have conquered over to show who is the true strength of Israel because it is not King David, it is Yahweh Jehovah God. Now, interesting, uh, verse 49 is a reference to Messiah. It, uh, Paul pulls it out in Romans and uses it as a reference to Jesus. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, Lord, among the Gentiles. Jesus not only came to bring the message to the tribe of Israel, but then to those who would be grafted in afterwards. That's us, Gentiles. Woohoo! Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed. Anointed was a, re- a reference to Messiah. He says, to David and his descendants forever. Psalm 19. Now, as I made mention just a minute ago, David loved to speak of the creation of God. He loved to show the handiwork of God's creation. Anybody know why David has this love for it? Because for so many years, he was out as a shepherd I mean, think about that. There's no pollution. <laughs> it's the, there's no light from cities. He's sleeping under the stars. And he sees this his whole time as a child. He sees the seasons changing and the constellations turning. And he sees the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament, that would be space, shows his handiwork. Ultimately, what David is going to do for us here is he is going to declare to us how wonderful God is in his creation and the universe and then show us that God is wonderful and amazing by his word that is proven. He shows us that man cannot have any excuse by these two things. Is uh, is the creation and God's word. He already said that it is proven. But we're going to see how powerful it is for us. Keep your place here. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. We'll pick it up in verse 18. Because what creation does is give no man an excuse. When he looks up into the sky, when he sees what he sees, he has no excuse. Paul, by the... Spirit tells us in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. 
the, I'm sorry, and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And we just spoke about this a, a couple of weeks ago, how this is what man does. Man says there's a box on the stage with a tiger in it, and I'm going to sit on it, but I'm suppressing the fact that there's a tiger in it, and if I sit on it long enough, then I, there is no tiger. So if I say long enough that we're, we were created from a big bang, and if I tell this lie long enough, then it becomes my religion, and now I am no longer beholden to this creator God. And now he lives his life without boundaries and without rules, and he can do whatever he wants. And Paul says, uh, no, because, verse 19, what may be known of God is manifest, that word means revealed in them for God has shown it to them in your body Paul says David's going to bring creation into it and the heavens and Paul will do it as well but what what Paul says is inside of your body is the declaration that there is a God and that your body is not by happenstance and that the simple cell is not a simple cell and that the DNA strand is amazing, and it's huge, and it's complex, and there is nothing simple about you and I, and you and I are not a mistake. But this is what Paul is speaking against. He says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and godhood, so that they are without excuse. He says creation and the body, which are both, but help me here. Genesis, what is created before man, and then the body, no one has an excuse and says that was just happenstance. This is a billion years of chance and of a mistake. Listen, because although they knew God, this is what Paul's point is, everybody on planet Earth knows there's a God and knows, I might add, the true God. They knew God, but they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile, and I'm just going to say stupid, in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened, Professing to be wise, they're fools. And they have changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves. Let's turn back. And we could just spend all of our time in Romans 1. It's one of the best chapters of all time from Paul. I mean, he just nails it on the first chapter. And what, what David says is the heavens declare, chapter 19, Psalm 19, the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. I re-watched today The Privileged Planet. I encourage you to watch that. We have some of that. It's a little bit old. It's a little bit dated. But it, it, it was made from um, these astronomers and um, physicists and all. 
smart people who sit in offices with telescopes and get grants, you know. And they started to look at this, this topic of, are we special in the universe? Because what happened was, I don't know if you know this, but at one point in man's history, man thought that the earth was the center of the universe. Anybody know that from your little history? Um, I forget who it was, but he, it's Greek. It's way old. And that was, that was the foundation until Copernicus. And everyone believed that the earth stood still and everything else went around it, that the planets and the sun went around. Copernicus comes up with this idea that, no, the earth is in motion because we have seasons and we have all of this stuff, and that the sun is at the center and everybody rotates around that. Well, what then came out of that was a uniform look at the universe and that, well, planet earth really isn't special. It's like the other planets from Copernicus. That thought found itself in academia for the rest of the time. And so this idea that there, that the earth was really not anything special, therefore the people on earth really weren't special because we were just like every other uh, planet, every other body in the universe. And what I love about this video is so they decide, listen, there, there's got to be something more to it. Because when Voyager, anybody know what Voyager is? And it's not a Star Trek series. It is, but it's not. We sent two probes out in the 70s, right? They had bell bottoms on. Sorry. We sent these two probes out. And when they were, when one of them was about to leave our known, our, our little, um, not our galaxy, solar system, thank you, shout it out, everybody else teach. So when it was about to leave our solar system, they turned it around and they took a picture of the sun and they just wanted to show how far it was away. Well, this is what's amazing. This is, it, it's all God. In that photo, when they studied it, they could see the sun, it was this dot, and they could see these rays coming out from the sun. And they focused in on the, on the, they kept going down, down. And in one of the, the streams of light, there was a blue dot. And that was us. Taken from way, way, way back there. And they, then Carl Sagan said, well, see, we're not special. We're just this dot. And there's nothing special about earth. Nor the people on earth. Well, that, what, that got these guys thinking, that, 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 doesn't just, that doesn't sound right. Because one of them experienced a solar eclipse. And I don't know if you've ever experienced a solar eclipse. You should have. We had one a while back here in South Carolina. It was the coolest thing in the world. And I mean literally cool when it went to totality. It was the weirdest thing to have it just the temperature drop. It was, man, I love that. And... I don't know if you know this, but in a total eclipse, when the, the moon goes over the sun like that, it, it's 50-some seconds where astronomers get to study the stars that are behind that you never see. And they study 
the corona that's around there. And there is, um, what they do is they take a prism. This, it, this stuff is fascinating to me. They take a prism, and you can only get this, this corona light from an eclipse. It only happens that one time. And from that, they were able to, in the 1800s, come up with the visible, visible, visible spectrum, what we know today. I mean, it's huge. But then this one guy's like, well, yeah, but how is that possible that we live on this planet and the only ones that can, uh, can, that can look at a solar eclipse are the ones being on this planet? And how is it that the sun, uh, the sun is there and the moon is one quarter of the earth, but it's 400 times further than that? And how is it possible that it's perfect and that we are seeing that? Then they started to expand that and say, well, maybe we are special. And they started to look at the things that made us special in the universe for life to exist on this third rock from the sun. Because all we hear about is there's got to be aliens in the world, right? There's a bazillion, jillion uh, planets in the universe. And they said, probably, yeah, but not intelligent life or life that was created because you need water. Anybody know that? You need to be at a certain distance from the sun. The sun has to be a certain type of sun. It can't be too big. It can't be too small. The earth can't be too big or too small because if it's too big, then the... (sighs) Hold on, I'll get it all out. What we have have to protect us, the electromagnetic, right, that protects us. We have a certain amount of iron inside of our planet that is molten, and it protects us. If, it's t- if the planet's too small, we die. If it's too big, there's not enough. Solar radi- radiation comes. If we're this close, we're like Venus. If we're this far away, we're like Mars. We have to be just right. And you know what they called it? The Goldilocks effect. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. And you know what these guys come up with? And I, I really don't hear this from the scientific community. They published a book and then eventually this movie. What they said is, we truly are a privileged planet. Because they just took 20 things, and now they've expanded it, this list. But there's 20 things that make life special on this planet. And I, I don't hear that anymore. And you can't refute. These guys aren't saved. They were just run-of-the-mill astrophysicists trying to do what good scientists do. Take data and see if it works in a model. Come up with a hypothesis. And what they came up with was there must be order to the universe. And there must be creation. They, they didn't go as far as the God of the Bible. That's fine. We can, if we can get you to think that this was creation... We can work with you. And David knew what it was like to sit there and, uh, boy, that was a long way around, wasn't it? You watch. We won't have any of those movies out there. They'll be all gone. No, we have some of them. David knew that the heavens declared the glory of God. What David said was, when you're lying on your back, camping, and you're looking out there, And then you add all of those things, those 20 things on a list, that there's no way life could exist on another planet 
unless they fulfilled all of these things. Then you realize this is a privileged planet. This is special. And if this is a place of creation and God allowed us to visibly see, we are in a spiral galaxy. Anybody know that? We're in a spiral galaxy. And if we were too close to the center, it would be fuzzy. There would be too much haze. There would be too much going on. There's too many supernovas. There's a black hole at the center of that. But we are in this arm, and we're at one of the arms that allows us to see everywhere. We live on an, an, an observation platform. That's what David says. David says, we are, are living on a place that we can look up and go, that is order. And thank you, God, for doing that. Verse 2. Hmm. You can tell I love that topic. And you, you know David loved this, and he loved to tell people about it. He said, day unto day, utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Now, what is he talking about? He's saying in the daytime, we see the sun passing through the heavens. He says, who can help but see that the, what the sun does? Are you not amazed that it rises every day and goes down every day? And, you know, life is based upon that. By the way, again, the color and the temperature of our sun allows our sun to put out on the electro spectrum, uh, you know, because there's x-rays and there's ultraviolet light, but we use just this narrow visible light. Do you know our sun produces more of the visible light that plants need and you and I get vitamin D? It's a privileged planet. So the sun declares that, but not only that, when the night comes... It shows us his handiwork. It reveals God. He says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. What he is saying is, if you want to hear the voice of God, if you want to see if there is the reality of the evidence of God, all you have to do is look up into the sky. David says, I'm not playing around. You want to know God? You want to hear him? Look up. That's wonderful. That is creation evangelism. That is true science. There are a lot of biblical great scientists. By the way, the the majority of the scientists before the 18th, they were believers. They were believers in Christ. They knew the Bible, they looked at the Bible, they saw the science in the Bible, and they wanted to document that. Again, if you want to hear the voice of God, then just look up. He said, their line has gone through the earth, and their words at the end, uh, uh, I'm sorry, to the end of the world, and in them there is the tabernacle of sun. And all through Psalms, there's science here and there. There's a line that goes through. We... Do you know that if we, would, if we did not have a moon the size of the moon, we wouldn't have our tilt at 22 degrees-ish, whatever, it's close to that. The moon keeps our tilt in the right place. And now I know what you're thinking. 
Who cares? If we didn't have the moon, if we didn't have the moon, then the tilt wouldn't stay where it is, and it wouldn't keep rotating. It would stop rotating, and we would have one side facing the sun, the other side dark, just like the moon is. So it would be hot here, frozen here, no life. No moon, no tilt. It keeps it in balance. It's amazing. It's all orderly. And yet, it's all done. It's happenstance. Big bang. Came from nothing. Well, what was before the nothing? We don't know. It was just nothing. So you had nothing, and then from nothing came everything. Yep. And you call us crazy. See that? He says, which is like the bridegroom coming out of its chamber and rejoices like a strong man that runs its race. And its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from the heat, especially in South Carolina. Listen, the testimony of the heavens is enough to convict mankind that there's a creator. That's what David is saying. Now, the second part of his argument to God is his word, which is the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, and the testimony of the Lord is sure, making, one, making wise the simple. And the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, And the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous together. These three, they're huge, they're powerful. Note them, highlight them. Listen to what Dave says. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. We'll get to that word perfect in a minute. When he is speaking of the law, I want you to think of it not in the first five books. I want you to think of it in the totality of God's word, what you hold in your hand. That's the law of the Lord. In the New Testament, in 2 Timothy, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be, uh, may be mature or perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works. Listen what the, what the law does. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, that word perfect, it, it's, that's bad. That's a bad translation. I want you to write next to it sound. That's what the, that's what the Hebrew means. Now, it is perfect. Let's not send me emails tomorrow. But it's sound. It's a better translation of that word, which means you can hold everything on the Bible. It's proven. Don't you love those people who say, well, I don't believe that Bible. It's got a lot of errors in it. Great, show me one. And then they can't. They're like, well, I heard it. Well, so you you made a judgment about the Bible that you haven't read. Yep. Okay. That's where we are. It says, the law of the Lord is uh, perfect, converting the soul. So God's word, if heeded and believed, converts everyone and anyone. This is what the word of God does. Remember we read recently, the word of God won't return void? Okay, I have a little time, and I mean a little time left but I have a big problem. I have a problem that people in the church, in the pulpit, are afraid 
of the word of God that it will offend, that we can't read the Old Testament. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't tell people to bring Bibles. Can't you just buy Bibles and hand them out? No, that's too smart. We can't do that. I have a problem with people not using the Bible. And yet what the Bible tells us, if we just give people the word of God, it will convert their soul. I don't convert anybody. You don't convert anybody. This word converts people. They hear it. They believe it. He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, Paul the apostle says that God uses the foolish things of the world. Anybody else in the room a fool like me? God uses us foolish things to confound the wise. I love that. And the word of God, you want to be wise? It says just ask. How about just read? If you study your Bible in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, you will find that it will give you illumination, knowledge, and wisdom that men of this earth only dream of getting. But it's right in your hands. Oh, you got to get moving. He says, the statutes of the Lord, what does it say? The right. Rejoicing the heart and the commandments of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. The term statute means the paths that God lay out for you. Everybody got that? Maybe you need to write that. Just write paths. The paths that God lays out for you. The instruction as to how you ought to walk. People are sometimes afraid of God's statutes, but when they but when you or I walk in them instead of finding disappointment, David says, you rejoice because I'm on God's path. I have little time. How many of you have, you've, you've done the one, you've done this, and then you finally get on God's path, you're like, huh? Not that it's easy, but it's easier. And you're like, huh? Why didn't I do this all along? It says it right here. You rejoice. It says, the commandments of the Lord is pure, which we know, enlightening the eyes. You are able to see things in 2021 that those people out there can't see because you're reading God's word. As we're going through Revelation, you're like, huh? You tell your family and your friends, and they're like, I don't see that. Do you see what reading the Bible does? It opens up our eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, or pure as well, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And more to be desired than they are of gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, than a honeycomb. Do you hear David? David goes, gold smold. Give me all the gold in the world. Uh, I'll just lay it aside, but give me Jesus. Give me the word of God. That's what David wanted. I think David secretly just wanted to be the priest and not the king. Even if he could give up the king gig, he'd give it up. He just wanted to be a priest. He said, moreover, by them your servants are 
warned. Again, what is God's word does? It helps us on the right path. And it warns us not to go down that path. And keeping them, listen, there's a great reward. Who can understand his errors? It's a question. He says, but cleanse me from my secret faults. This is what the word of God does. Have you read the word of God and it popped out at you, your sin? You're like, I knew I shouldn't have done that verse. And God just is speaking right to you. Here it is. You're sitting here. You're like, this is going to be a great Wednesday night until I hit this verse. And you're like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. He says, keep back your servant also from uh, presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Presumptuous sins, that is, from sins that are born of pride and self-confidence. Peter had self-confidence in the flesh. Lord, I'm going to pick up the sword. I'm going to take these guys out. And Jesus like, are you kidding me? You're going to deny me three times. We have presumptuous sins. And David says, Lord, let them not have dominion over me. And listen to verse 14. We know it well. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David, young David, old David loved the word, but young David loved the word and he loved creation. He loved the handiwork of God. He loved that he was out there. He relied upon the Lord as his deliverer, his, deliver, his strong tower and his fortress. We would we would do well to heed the words of King David. Amen. Read ahead Armageddon for Sunday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Revelation 19. No, not 19. 16. What is it? 16. Oh, I jumped ahead. Don't do that. Read ahead for Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. and We thank you for King David. We thank you for his love of the word. His love for creation and how it points to your handiwork. And how amazing this universe is. How it's orderly and how our body, as Paul says, shows and declares that you are God. And you are to be worshipped. And so Lord, thank you for David's love of the word too. And that we also would have the love of the word. And that Lord, it would help us on our path the path that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, that you delight in us tonight, (laughs) that you like us, that you love us, and you even want us to spend eternity with you. Oh, how amazing that is. So, Lord, thank you for our night. In Jesus' name, amen.